Hi everyone, this is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super honored and excited today for my guest, Dr. Joe Delaney. He is a PhD chartered scientist. He's a fellow of the biomedical sciences, and in addition to being a scientist, he's also a shaman and showman. He carries a serious message in a lighthearted way. He's a consultant principal lecturer in integrative medicine and a recognized teacher and associate lecturer in evolutionary psychology, addictive behavior, and integrative health practice. He's worked for many years as a senior research fellow in medicine, exploring the use of non-medical interventions alongside pharmacological methods for treating stress and high blood pressure in patients suffering with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and chronic kidney disease. In line with the above, he was appointed as the country's first national health service specialist in integrative health practice. For over 25 years, Dr. Joe has been using a variety of person-centered approaches involved with helping individuals to rediscover themselves and help them back from the debilitating effects of stress and addiction in its various forms. Along with his academic training, what qualifies him most for his involvement in this particular area is that he's just about to celebrate 28 years in recovery from alcohol addiction, which is quite a feat in itself. He's been clean and sober and living life in the raw for all that time. So he has a deeper insight into most than most into this area, and he's in a relatively unique position in that he is able to see both sides of the equation. So in addition to both his professional and personal experience, he's also a very nice and funny person. I am sure you will all enjoy listening to Dr. Joe Delaney today. Welcome, Dr. Joe. <laughs> He is a great fellow. I, I want to start off first by asking you about your half marathon. Oh, yeah. How in the world oh. did you do that? Say again? How in the world did you do that? Just um, one step at a time. They are. Yeah. <laughs> one step at a time and one breath at a time. And what I do is I've realized that if you get your breathing right in sync, you know, in synchrony with your running, right, it, it's much easier to do. It's almost like a rhythmic running thing, really. And last year I did eight half marathons. I'm coming up to 65 years of age. Wow. I did eight half marathons, not because I'm a show off, but just because when I'm doing marathons, it's not half marathons and marathons. I don't do it quickly somewhere in the middle, but uh -huh. I really enjoy it. It's almost like a mindful meditation to me, really. And right. this is something that I've learned, you know, part of my, well, a massive part of my recovery is to understand about focusing on your breath, really. Mm -hmm. And before, when I got very ill, and I'll talk about that as we go along, I didn't have a clue about myself. You know, I had no idea about listening to my body and to the signals that my body was sending me because my head was so far removed from my body. I was yeah. just trapped in this sort of matrix of lunacy, if you like, you know. And, you know, I see for myself that sometimes individuals, and I've known a lot of individuals, have to become really, really ill before they get the message. And you know, Dawn, what the message is. It's yes. to love yourself first yes. and foremost, you know. And, yes. and, you know, when people say that, oh, you don't love yourself, a lot of them don't really understand what it means until you've been through that personal lived experience, you know. Don't, so do, I'm, do you, I'm sort do of, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. 
No, I just think I was, um, I'm sort of glad now that I'm on this other side of it. Yeah. When I was going through all this stuff, I didn't have a bloody clue. I have yeah. no idea. You know, I had all sorts of qualifications and certificates and diplomas. And I was really sort of, um, I was seen as quite sort of clever in my particular field, you know, and ahead of the game. But about myself, I didn't have a clue. Well, that's that's the thing, um, Joe. I, I wonder, well, and I've often thought that people who struggle with any issues, you, like you said, they're out of their body. It's because they, they don't know how to um, process their own emotional being. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think more and more of us are sort of cognitive. We're we're head-based. We're like heads on sticks, really. And we've lost all that self-awareness and that body-sensory awareness, you know. And my job, I mean, loads and loads of people are trying to have out-of-body experiences. (laughs) And I was trying to have an in-body body (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what I've learned over time, and, and this is what I show other people now, I show them how to reconnect to their body how to breathe in certain ways, how to use their emotion in certain ways to basically stick their head back onto their body so mm-hmm. that it can it can work as one holistic unit, really. Do you think that it all starts with the breath? Um, no, I think it all starts with the soul. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think now, you know, I don't have a religion as such now, but I feel personally that one life's not enough to explore all the riches of human experience and emotion. So my view is now, and I'm not, you know, I have a, I'm a scientist and I have a skeptical part of me that keeps an open mind, you know, that says, I don't really know a hundred percent. So I think there's an element of doubt that's in there because Mm -hmm. that helps discernment. Really. I don't believe anything a hundred percent, you know, you know, including the nonsense that I come out with, you know, all I can say is that what I believe today may change tomorrow. And if it does, I'm, I'm of a mindset now where I can let the old beliefs go to be supplanted by the new ones until there's time to go and carry on. So I honestly feel at depth, right, that before I came here, I sort of signed a soul contract to say, mm-hmm. this is what I want to experience this time around. You know, Now, whether or not it's a reincarnation or whether it's just a different different dimension or I don't know you know and I've looked at all the philosophies of the world all the religions right and it seems that more people than not believe that there's life after death and there's some sort of eternal progress for the soul you know and I don't know what a soul looks like but I certainly know what my soul feels like now how why do you think that so many people are just walking around unaware of their souls I mean, because that's like, how did you discover your soul? Yeah. Well, I use the old joke. It is all about our souls. And, you know, that means something different in the UK. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> but it has become about that to me because I think what happens is the soul, right, has different levels of um, advancement or evolution. You know, uh-huh. I think there's eternal progress of the souls. So the world as it's set up now is absolutely perfect for the individual soul to learn the lesson that it's signed up to come here for you, you see. So that's and why the, I don't in the, hum- can- in the human body. Yeah, yeah, I think that we're all spirits on human journey. Or let me say this way, I feel that I am a spirit on a human journey, 
you know, and for a long time, I felt that I was a human trying to get a bit lighter, a bit more vitality and have a spiritual experience. And I see it completely the wrong, the other way, not the wrong way around, the right way around. I see it completely the other way around now. But what's actually happening is, as there seems to be a great astronomical, astrological shift going on in the cosmos at the moment. Yes. You know, and they're calling this the great shift. And in 2011, out of the blue, I got this really, really, it was almost like a voice, but not quite an audible voice. And it was saying, you need to learn about consciousness and the shift in consciousness. And I thought, why, why is my head telling me this? You see, right. That was two, that was 2011. And in 2012, I'm starting to give talks and lectures on the great shift in consciousness. You know, it happened that quickly to me, you know, wow. by this time, I'd, I'd already been sort of practicing mindful techniques for quite a long time. And I know now when my intuition or my soul or my spirit is guiding me, it sort of sends me thoughts that won't leave me alone until I've actually taken some action on them. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think that what's actually happening is as this great shift of consciousness comes in, it's almost like a great big wave of cleansing that's happening across the globe. I don't really feel anybody's going to get away with anything. And so we're almost, some people call it the truth vibration. So we're almost being forced now to face our own behaviors and take personal responsibility for the choices we make and the actions that we take. That's where I really feel it is now. And people who are fearful, they don't want that. You know, people who are arrogant and people who are fearful, they're the two categories that really don't want to look at that because it means that they'll have to take personal responsibility for themselves. Yeah, and, you know, and we've talked about this, you know, whether we like it or not, right, what you give out, you get back, right? right. And right. If, you point, if you're pointing the finger like that, there's always three fingers coming back because it's your choice. I call this the I am approach. You know, and this is like the ism, I, self, me. Mm. How am I attracting this to me? And what's this trying to teach me? And if you're sort of a person who, who's still into sort of, let's say the word, Joe, you know, if you're still into victim mode and you're blaming everything outside of yourself, then you're truly disempowered. And basically, you know, um, where, that's where I had to get to. I had to get to a point of suicide before I realized it was my choices that were putting me in the positions that I was in. Yeah, how can you sort of explain your um your journey, you know, through your addiction to yeah. your suicidal attempt? I mean, that's a really scary place to be. Yeah, yeah, it's um started off um at a very early age. I was born premature, 6 weeks premature, a little 4 pounder, you know, and as soon as I was born, you know, because I was small, my mum sort of grabbed hold of me and uh-huh. pulled me to her. And wouldn't let go um, all my life, basically. You know, and I'm not blaming my mum at all because she was overprotective, right? right. Uh, she was over-nurturing, over-sensitive. And my mum's, you know, she's still with us, thank God, my mum. And she's a very sensitive woman, mm-hmm. you know. And basically, she wouldn't let me out of her sight, you know. And, you know, the, the relationship... Out of, out of fear. Fear and out of, yeah, out of fear and out, out of so-called protection. Right. What it did, this motherly, smotherly thing, never gave me the opportunity to grow myself, you see. You know, I, I call this the mummy's curse. I've told my mum about this, and she tells me, stop stop talking nonsense, you know. 
<laughs> she still tells I'm me. I'm just about, loving you, baby Joe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a scene now. And my, my favorite poem, you know, the book, The Prophet by yes. Khalil Gibran, you know, is your children are not your children. They come through you, not from you. And that's so important to me now because I see across the globe, parents, they feel a lot of the cases that they own the children, you see. And, you know, what happened to me is I never got an opportunity to make my own mind up. Every mm -hmm. time I had a thought or an idea, I'd run it past my mum and she'd go, ooh, you don't want to do that, son. That's too dangerous. And, ooh, you don't want to go there, son, because they're too clever. So from a very, very early age, I was almost socially conditioned in this fear, you know. Right. So it was, it almost like impregnated, impregnated me. And, you know, every fabric of my DNA was impregnated with a fear-based attitude, you know. And so... Um, as my life went on, I became more and more fearful. I had social anxiety disorder. I hated being around other people. I always felt out of place, you know. And and, and I know that most of your listeners will understand with a lot of this, you know, because yeah. these sorts of programs resonate with sensitive people, you know. Yes. And I used to sort of, I became an expert at emotional blackmail and manipulating other people, right, in order so that I could remain feeling comfortable. Mm. And not only did that happen with my siblings and my own family, but as I went to school as well then, I became great at sort of organizing other people to suit myself. So I became very selfish, very self-centered, very narcissistic, very um, emotionally blackmaily. And um, if people didn't do what I wanted them to do, I'd find every sort of way to pay them back. So we've, we've got right back into the deep stuff already, haven't we? Yes, you know? yes. You know, that's how my life went. But these were coping skills I had to develop in order to protect my fears, you see. Uh -huh. And so as I went further on, um, in my teenage years, I was um, introduced to alcohol. And I can remember having my first gulp of alcohol, and it ch changed my life completely. It freed me. It disinhibited me. Mm -hmm. And something came out of me that was free. And I was addicted from the first moment that I took the first gulp, you know. And so, you know, it was then, it was almost like a power game where I could get a certain amount of alcohol down me. It would free me up, but I still had this egocentric head on top of my shoulders. You know, my emotional blackmail, my manipulation and all those sort of things became worse and worse and worse, you know. So in relationships, you know, I used to fall in love with anybody who'd smile at me, you know, any woman that would smile at me. If mm -hmm. she smiled at me, she must love me, and therefore she was mine, you know. And mm -hmm. this is, I'm just being dead honest about what yeah. I found about myself, yeah. you know. And I would become almost like a stalker until I tracked them down and they became my property, you know. And I'm beginning to see now it wasn't love. It was because that person represented some comfort to me and somebody I could hang on to because it made me feel secure in myself, you know. Uh -huh. that, was, that was basically how my relationships went on and on and on. And in the end, they all tried to escape or get away from me because I took them prisoner, you know. And not, it wasn't love. It was imprisonment, you know. And, but I didn't know this, Dawn. This, is, this, is, this was completely new to me until I saw my own behavior, you know. And I've been back and I've apologized to everybody I've hurt because of my behavior, because mm -hmm. that was part of my recovery, you know. But as the years went on, you know, 
I started to get more and more anxious, more and more stressed, more and more panic disorder. And so I needed more and more drink. And then when the drink started to wear off and I couldn't get enough, I started to take all sorts of tablets, mm-hmm. antidepressants, sleeping. It was a bloody nightmare, you know. And so basically what I was doing, I was chemically managing my mood. Right? Mm-hmm. And if I was down, I'd take things to speed me up. And if I was uh, speeded up, I'd take things to relax me, you see. Mm-hmm. And I was just in this state of imbalance for a long time. Anyway, to cut the story short, I was employed in the National Health Service in a quite high-powered job, quite a responsible job in pathology, you know, clinical sciences. And um, I started to get into trouble at work then with being drunk on the job and stuff like that, you know. Mm. So in the end, uh, they found me unconscious on call in the laboratory, you know, and that was the the end of my NHS career, you know. And um, then for years, I was unemployable because I was so ill but I was still drinking and drinking and drinking, you know. In the end, my wife, uh, who I was married to then with the children, they had to let me go because I was just unhandleable, you know. Wow. And then um, I found myself in a horrible, poxy, little, dirty flat, you know, with no money and stuff like that. And I made my first attempt to do myself in, you know. And um, it was, a, it was a, again, these were serious attempts, but it didn't work, you know. And then there was a time when I sort of gathered my forces again, recouped a bit and tried to get clean. But, you know, sooner or later, the drink caught up with me and I was back on that bandwagon again. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I ended up homeless. I was sleeping on the streets. I was sleeping in parks. You know, I was having to go to the toilet in McDonald's and wash myself and go to the loo. And it was horrendous. Uh-huh. I had no money. I ended up begging. I was picking up cigarette ends from the pavements and stuff like that, you know. So it, that's where my journey took me. And, where, where, um, was, where was your mom at this point? Yeah, my mom and dad, they tried for years and years and years to help me. Uh-huh. And in the end, what happened, they had to let go of me too because my illness was causing them to become ill. Uh-huh. And they went to a fellowship called Al-Anon, which was the it's – a, it's a sister fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. I'd been to Alcoholics Anonymous – Right. And I couldn't understand what they were talking about, you know, and I tried to follow the instructions. But as they say in AA, I wasn't ready to hear the message, you know. Right. But, but what happened was my mum and dad went to Al-Anon and they said, you need to detach with love. You know, you know that you love him, but you've got to let go of your bindings or your bonds. You know, it's not that you don't love him anymore, but you've got to allow him the personal responsibility to realize that it's his choices that are causing him to be like this. And I, Dawn, I would I imagine that's the hardest thing to do as a parent to, well, let, your, to let your kid fall and fail. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was when the first opportunity, my mom had the opportunity to cut the apron strings because mm-hmm. Dawn, and I'll be honest about it. When I really got drunk, I used to ring the mum up at two and three and four in the morning and call her all the horrible names under the sun. Mm-hmm. I would say, it's your fault, you horrible diddly, 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 because I'm like this. And the thing about it is, this illness, call it an evil, call it illness, it works through people to destroy other people. Mm-hmm. And my mum, you know, my mum went to Al-Anon, and they suggested to her that she'd have to turn her back on me. And what happened was, I was in the local mall or mall or whatever they call it, you know, and I saw my mother, 
I was homeless and I went up to her and I said, Mum, can you lend me £10? Or, you know, that would be $10. I haven't had anything to eat for ages. And I swear to you, I'm just going to get something to eat and all that. And she said, son, we've unfortunately, we're going to wash our hands of you now. You're on your own. And she wow. turned around. She turned around and she walked away, Dawn. And my head, I remember my head sinking. That's my mother. She'll turn around in a minute. So I'm still playing, even in my illness. Uh-huh. I'm still playing these emotional blackmail games. And Dawn, what happened is she kept, I'm feeling sad talking about this now, but she kept walking and something snapped at the level of my heart. Right. Mm. And uh, my mum, uh, my mum doing that has saved my life. Because she had to take that step to save her life. Yeah. And that's what emotional bondage is. Yeah. That we're all wrapped up, or most people are wrapped up in the bonds connected to other people. And my job now is to help people to understand this story, to help them to free themselves from the emotional ties with other people. Because if you're tied to somebody else, it's still a conditional holding. It's not love. It's 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 put across in the human spheres as love, but it's actually bondage, right? And my mum walked away, something snapped in me. And then the next day I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous and I haven't had a drink for 27 and a half years as a consequence of my mum's action. And that's how powerful this thing is because she was still hanging on to me at Uh a soul level and she wouldn't let me go. So my mum had to let me go in order to find my own feet, you see. I would I would imagine as your mom, if I was walking away from my little my little boy who's a grown man, I would be bawling my eyes out because I mean I'm I'm just think like I'm getting teary thinking about it right now. It's like breaking her heart that you are so um that you seem so helpless you know, and that she wants to help you, but she knows the only thing that will help you is for you to take responsibility for yourself. Yep. It's a bloody hard lesson. And I think that the world has got to live, you know, it's got to understand and start to live this lesson now. Uh We've got to basically break the ties where we're bound to other people, because if we're not free from ties, then we're not free in spirit. And I don't, I think that that's what really, this new spirit of enlightenment about is it's a called personal sovereignty. And if you're bound to somebody else consciously or unconsciously, you're still not free. And it's such a hard lesson. But there, but there's a difference, Joe, between feeling connected to someone and that, and the, and the alcoholics, the AA world, that codependence. And is that what you're talking about being bound that codependence? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, if I do something and you get upset by it and it hurts me, that means I'm tied to you. So it might be behavior causes you disturbance. That means you've got a conditional bond there, whether whether you're aware of it or not. You know, there's a complete difference between an emotional bond and real authentic feelings. Of course, you can have compassion and deep feelings for somebody. Mm -hmm. But if you can't walk away and get on with your own life and if it's killing you, that they're killing themselves, then that's a conditional bond. Of right. Course I've had to do it with my children. I've had to, you know, I've had to go through this thing myself, you know, uh, when my children have been in trouble, because 
each soul, in my view. And Dawn, you know what? I could be totally wrong here, right? But I don't think so, you know. Mm -hmm. In order for everybody to be free and not in these faulty codependent states, right? Then we need to understand the depth that we're responsible for our own choices. Mm -hmm. And we can't because it's almost like a psychic connection. And even then people who are geographically located thousands of miles away, we can still be connected by these quantum emotional bonds, you know. Right. You know, and the whole point about it is true freedom means to feel the connection, feel the love, you know, even feel different feelings, but to be able to walk away and to be unaffected by it, you know, I mean, right. in a bond. Does that make sense? It, it makes total sense. I know like a lot of, I, I've heard a lot of parents say, oh my gosh, I'm so upset. My child is so upset. And I was like, so why are you upset? <laughs> you know, it's like, you should just be the witness to somebody else's emotional state, you know, and let them manage, you know, of course you can be helpful and supportive, but for you to assume their emotions, I mean, that's that whole bondage thing. It's like, Yeah. And, and you, you probably know that from working with patients, working with clients, you know, just in life in general. I mean, I, I had that too in my own practice. Um, you know, I would, of course, feel empathy for these, for these clients. But as soon as they walked out the door, it was like I send them blessings and I send them on their way because they have to take care of their own stuff. Of course, you know, and that that's the symbology of sort of washing your hands after you deal with clients and patients, you know. I, I'm um, I'm what they call a Reiki master, you know, and I've done a lot of energy work for a long uh-huh. time. And, you know, I go through a sort of almost ritual. I don't really need to, but it's just something that I've been trained in, a ritual of cleansing my own energy body. Mm-hmm. When people, you know, And I think there's been people, you know, when we shake the dust off our feet, you know, it's because in these situations that we get involved in as healers and things, you know, it's quite easy to pick up the dust of somebody else's confusion and turmoil, you know, and I can feel it landing on me. It's almost like flies now. You know? Right. <laughs> I've got this cow's tail that does that now, you know, it's a sort of, it's like a windscreen wiper really, uh-huh. because I think that I'm always trying to become more and more, if you like, open and more effective as a sort of channel for want of a better way of doing it. Uh-huh. And so I can feel things coming in, you know, and I deal with energies now. If I'm, if I'm working or if I've got an opportunity to work somebody, but I can feel a really negative thing, sometimes I'll turn people away. I don't really have to explain it, but I say to them, no. And I was like that as a child. I had very, very sensitive feelings and I could pick up all sorts of emotions you know, for example, when the parish priest came round, you know, because I was brought up in a very strict Roman Catholic background, uh-huh. I always used to get a sense of real fear and a horrible type energy, you know. And uh-huh. I'd say to my mom, oh, I don't like so-and-so, you know. And she'd say, don't be silly, that's the father, that's father so-and-so, you know. But I always sensed that there was something maybe lurking <laughs> i was gonna, gonna say predatory <laughs> yeah, well i'm gonna get into trouble here but i know that you know what i'm talking yes i know about. what you're talking about yes. i could feel the lurker in people and i allowed the people around me because of their fear to talk me out of my feelings i don't anymore dawn if i meet somebody i'll feel them and then and I'll ask my heart, what's the score here? And I'll get, no, you don't have to be involved in that. Because my measure now of, if you like, is heart intelligence. 
Right. I just let my heart go out, have a feel, feed back to me, and then I make a decision. Because my head, this is like, this is the seat of stinking thinking here. These right. two things, right. you know, this always tries to talk me out of it. This is where all the social conditioning is and the memory banks of the shoulds. This is how you should behave. This is what you should do. I tend not to listen to this anymore and just listen to this thing here because there's two sides of the brain there and there's one heart, you know. Uh-huh. Well, I was going like, to, while you were saying talking you out of it, it, it can also talk you into it. Like for instance, with a person, um, because this is something that I struggled with too. I, I used to think I get a bad feeling, you know, I feel badly around this person and I th- and then I would think, am I just being too judgmental? Yeah. And so, you know, that's one, that's one really important thing. And I know, and I know working with kids, like you've been talking about, you know, these raising these new generation of children, that it's really important to teach kids how to honor the feelings in their body. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters how you feel. Yeah. And and if you're wrong later on, well, you're wrong, you know, because we're all. I'm, I feel that we're all trying to tune in more and more, right. and and improve the sensitivity of our radar. And right. do I make any mistakes all the time, Dawn? I'm making mistakes constantly, um, but it's teaching me more and more to tune in and to become more discerning and discriminating, really, because that's what let me down. And and I, you know. At 11, I went away to um, a, a, a priest training college, a seminary, you know, and lots of things happened to me there. And then from there, I left there early because I just missed my mum all the time, you know. So I was taken out of there and I was placed there into a Christian brothers school, you mm-hmm. know, and I was terrified all the time. And certain things happened to me there that had I really had the courage and the conviction, I would have said, no, I'm not comfortable with that. So without going into all that sort of stuff, those things happen to me again, because mm-hmm. it's almost like predatory type individuals picked up my naivety, right? Mm-hmm. See what I mean? And, you know, certain things went on. And um, looking back now, I mean, I've, I've forgiven all those things that have happened, you know, because... Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like it sounds like a daft thing to say this, but it's almost like a soul set up this. And you know, on the final attempt, I hope it's the final attempt anyway, to do myself in. I mean, I should never have a headache for the rest of my life with the amount of tablets that I took, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing off a, an elephant. But what actually happened is when I made a real decision and I woke up calm, it was almost like I'd come to the decision, this is the end of it now. I'm hurting myself. I've hurt all the people around me. I don't know what to do here. And I I turn my back onto religion and stuff like that, you know, and mm-hmm. God and the universe. I, I just had enough because it just wasn't working out. But on this day, I knelt down on the floor and I said, look, God, I'm so sorry, but I've tried my utmost here to live what I feel is a decent and honest life. And it seems like everything's going against me. So I said, please do me a favor. Will you make this the end of it? Right. And no shit, uh, no, no messing about Dawn. You know, I felt this peace that passeth all understanding. It descended upon me. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, and it seemed like a moment, but it, it was a long, long time. I got, I got the understanding of what the universe was about. I got all these visions and pictures. I heard all sorts of sounds. I was given a mathematical formula about the formula. This is, this is how the earth was created. 
And I was almost like in this sort of, isn't this great? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you were in, you were in the I am experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I was right in the middle of the whirlpool. Yeah. In this great stillness, you know, and I know now what that is, you know, in this still point, I got downloaded with all the information uh-huh. to make it worthwhile, you know. And then what happened was then is it's almost like a voice said to me, son, you signed up for this, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious because there was a chuckle involved. I'm trying to do myself in. And this thing. <laughs> this thing and I signed me, up for this? Are you crazy? <laughs> this thing within me is chuckling. He said, if you can't take a joke, you shouldn't have signed the form. Right? <laughs> and then what I got was, what I got was, son, you did sign up for this. You wanted to be to help. Yeah. You put your name down as a teacher. What you've got to do now is turn around walk back through this and improve your life based upon what we're su- suggesting to, you know? So it was almost like my heart. It was, it was God. It was the spirit. It was soul. I don't put labels on it because that causes confusion. But what happened is, you know, everything started to change then my yeah. mind. Opened, and this feeling, which has never left me, this flowy feeling. Um, I know now when I'm in, um, misalignment with this feeling because I start to feel disturbed and uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's my, that's my way now. And, you know, we talked about um, focus on feelings first. My thing now is don't focus on thinking and trying to analyze stuff. Right. Sit, sit in your heart. And this is what I teach now. This thing called the I am approach. Excuse me. It stands for internal asset management. Mm-hmm. And what that means is most people have got no idea of what their innate skills and gifts and abilities are mm-hmm. because we've almost been conditioned into areas, right, where we're not so skillful. And that's to actually please and to work for things outside of ourselves. Right. I've been shown now that if we focus on what's strong in us, not what's wrong with us, right, things start to change. But it takes courage to break away from that external thing. You know, when you look outwards, you're expecting. But when you look inwards, you're inspecting. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what I try and help people with is to take their head off, to turn it round, to look in the other way, to dig deep and find their gifts, their abilities, their talents, their enthusiasm. Right. And what gives them joy. Exactly. Believe it or not. not. Right. If it's not hard, is it? You know, it's make a list of things that you enjoy, do more of it, and do exactly. less of the other stuff. Exactly. Right. That you've created. <laughs> I, I know. I know you've said, "Is this healthy or is this harmful?" Right. Yeah. And it's like, is this is this propelling you to do and be more of who you are and what you want, or not, or taking you away from that stuff? It's difficult because it takes courage to turn your back on everything that's not you. This is the whole thing I've learned is the real me is deep in the core of my heart. The soul, the I am, is the real essential me. And it's not even called Joe Delaney. It's called I am, you know, so it's nameless. It hasn't got a name. It's just got this. It's just this thing that pours out love. You know, and it's the love's not aimed at anybody. It's not trying to hang on to somebody, you know, and right. suck them in. 
you know, like the old Joe, you know, this love is there. It's free. It's open and flowing. And it's for everybody, you know. And um, I didn't know that because I always thought there had to be some object to the love, you see. And that's why most of my relations got into trouble. And the imprisonment thing came is because mm-hmm. when I tried to escape, you know, um, I would try my utmost to imprison them even further, you know. So right. I've, learned, I've learned that. I've learned that. That we don't own anything at all, you know. That's that's the whole thing when you're with somebody. I, I think, was it? not Han that said um, the big, the best expression of love is freedom. You know, that you, that you are loving your partner or the people in your life and you honor their freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if they're not happy in the relationship, the most loving thing you can do is let go, let go, go. you know, because who are we to like imprison people because it might be directing them away from what, their true soul's purposes, you know. Right. You know, because it's, it's, because what I think you should be doing yeah, is yeah. is my should, not your want, you know, or desire. Yeah. And when people ask me, what Dr. Joe, what should I do next? I'll say I've got no idea. I don't <laughs> even know. I've got I don't even know what I should do with my own life. Because, exactly. <laughs> because it pops up moment to moment, yeah. you know. And my whole philosophy is now don't try and work anything out. Trust that your intuition and your soul has got it sorted, right? It knows what you came here to do exactly. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just let one bubble come up at a time and do what's right in front of you? Live from one moment to the next, to the next. But the head wants to come in and say, well, what's going to happen right. in three minutes time? As soon as my head gets into that and it goes further than the end of my nose, I start to feel the old fears coming back in. And that's because my ego needs to know. And my soul says, no, you don't. Right. Right. Yeah. For some, for some reason, we feel like we need to control all of the external um, details. Right. But that, that comes, that, that heart knowing comes from a safe, from a, a place of your own internal trust, sense of safety, and um, just knowing that you'll be taken care of. Absolutely. Like somebody said to me once, explained it, the difference between faith and trust is that bloke Blondin, he used to go across Niagara Falls on a wire with a Uh wheelbarrow, and everybody knew that he could do it. You know, he'd push this wheelbarrow along. Faith was that he'd succeed. Trust was getting in the wheelbarrow with him. Yeah, (laughs) right. Oh, I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow with you. I'm staying in my own wheelbarrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, and that's the whole thing is, you know, the quantum leap is you can have all the faith in the world, but yeah. if you don't take the first step, nothing materializes, nothing manifests. And the more, try it in little steps first, positive risk taking in tiny little steps. Mm-hmm. And as you start to feel the flow and the benefit of it, then you can start to take big leaps then. You can do the hop, skip, and the jump and become a Olympic champion overnight. You know, just go for it, you know. And and I think that as the flow comes, you can't stop going for it anyway. You know? So how and how does your heart tell you that it's a yes? I just, it just stays open and I get like a big flowy feeling, you know. I feel enthusiastic. I feel joyful. And I say to people, you know, okay, we've got two scenarios here. Let's do this picture now. 
Think of what might happen in a few days' time if you take this one and think of what ha- might happen if you do this one. And I get them to feel their way through. I said, hang on a second, though. So they feel the picture. They use their imagination. They project. The, it's like an internal navigation system. Or oh, this right. is at least how it works for me, you know. And, you know, Dawn, I honestly know now that the soul attracts to it the scene, the players, the events, the times. It attracts to it the scene by which it learns its next evolutionary step. Mm-hmm. So it's the soul that's creating, you know, through perception. It's the soul that puts the projection out there, right? And then if we see what's out there and we have this contact with it and say, what am I supposed to learn from here? Because this is like what's gone on before. And the soul will give you the clue to say, it is similar, Joe, but it's set up again because in the past you've taken this action now, if you take this action, let's see if there's a different outcome. And Dawn, in my experience, it's all about overcoming childhood and childlike fears. Mm-hmm. Evolution to me is called growing up. <laughs> growing up, but staying childlike. Absolutely. And, you know, and this is another thing when people say, hey, come on, be, you know, they say this to me all the time. Will you be serious? No, no. No. <laughs> because I was, I was conditioned into thinking. That responsibility went along with seriousness, mm-hmm. and I was as miserable as bloody sin for most of my life. So piss off, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm going to keep chuckling in my heart, whether you like it or not. Well, I, I think there are all these social conditions of what is quote unquote acceptable for adults. You know, like kids can run and play and scream and jump and you know do all sorts of crazy things, but. Why isn't why isn't it okay for adults to do the same thing? We we still have that little kid inside of us. Well, I certainly have, and I know you have as well. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, we'd cause murder if our two kids got out. I think, you know. <laughs> but that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, we live in such a serious and serious to me is gravity. You know, we're yeah. suffering from the effects of gravity. The opposite of gravity is levity. It's about mm-hmm. levitation. And mm-hmm. as the spirit flows through you more and more, and yoga enthusiasts will tell you this, that when you're in a deep state of open flowingness, you can start to feel this levitating enemy, uh, energy. I've done it myself. You know, I practice yoga. And sometimes I can actually feel almost as if there's like a sort of propulsion happening from mm-hmm. the ground up, you know. So there's a, I feel like we're only just touching the surface yes. of what's possible here, yeah. you know. I feel and, like and it's, all, job, it's just all expansive, expansive and free. Exactly. And it's something that allows for limitless expansion. There's yes. no limit to this. Yes. You know, people say you know, there's this hierarchy. I think that you can cut this Gordian knot and you can be free. I don't feel that you have to go through each one layer by layer. I think you can take the sword of truth cut it through the middle and just dispense with the knot and all the rope and the ties, you know. So it's called unstring theory, you know. It's cutting all those ties and just being free. And that's what drink gave to me. That's what drugs gives to people. Sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's buying. It gives them a temporary touch of what's possible, but most of the time it's chemically induced. And if you haven't got the chemical, you don't get the feeling. And I know now that my thing, I'm not opposed to medications when it's used at the right time, in the right concentration, for the right condition, not opposed at all. Modern medicine is brilliant in a lot of areas, you know, 
But in other areas as well, it treats symptoms and not the root cause. And yeah. the root cause, as far as I'm concerned, the root cause of all illness is called a soul sickness. Mm-hmm. And it means that the soul is compressed and contracted and it's not allowed to expand and express itself. I didn't know I was going to talk like this, but this is what I feel is helping people to be free, uh-huh. not doing it for them. You know, people talk about we, we can empower other people. I don't believe we do empower other people. I think that we can facilitate yes. an environment yes. that allows them to empower themselves. Don't you think that's a lot of the energy medicine that's coming into yeah. play is like helping people learn how to harness their own energy? Absolutely. It's it's part of what I call vibrational medicine because mm-hmm. it's all, I mean, there's something I'm developing called chromato-optogenetics and it's the use of both sound and light yes. to change the expression of DNA, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I know I'm not the only person in the world talking about this, but the chromato-optogenetics is to do with the number 12, you know. Yes. I know that number is important to you. It's important to me. It's it my is. birth. It's my birthday number. Oh, uh, well, yeah. And, and 12 is important because to me, core, because that's from the Latin core, you know, that could be the Christians that all humans have, you know, how Gardner felt there were eight or nine multiple intelligences. But Dr. Joe thinks that there's 12. Yeah. And I think it's connected to the 12 cranial nerves, the yeah. 12 disciples, the 12 yeah. months of the year, the 12 year. All those things are symbolic of each human being's individual potential to be mm-hmm. total and holistic and free. And at, the, and at the center of the 12 is the heart. Yeah. Yeah. The Christ, if you like, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, and, and I don't do religion anymore. You know, I, I got trapped by it and you're better to be around and you're more helpful than carry on doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how, how have your relationships changed as a result of your own transformation? completely different now it's um i live a day at a time and whoever i'm with you know i allow them the same really you know mm-hmm. and if they try and control me then i have to suggest hang on a second i'll look <laughs> after myself things you look after yourself you know what i mean and of course you know in relationships i think twin souls are meant to really get together to cause murder with one another you know because <laughs> i think when you're in that you can start no, no, I, I see this. You know, it would be lovely to meet a twin soul and then go on happily ever after without an argument. But that's not been my um, experience. My experience is once you know that you're responsible for your own emotional state and it's actually connected to uh, some sort of trigger within us, mostly from our childhood, but also from past life conditionings as well, then every time you feel emotionally disturbed, right, we want to blame the other the person but they're not doing it to you it's the way that you're processing the information that's the problem so in order to take the hook out you know it's like um i call it a resonant remembrance really because it's attached to a pattern that happened before but it looks like it's the same thing again it's not the same thing it's similar only to teach you where your hooks and your are buried you know Right. Get to that stage. You're doing well if you really understand that in the heat of an argument. And you can say, hang on a second. I've got to look at my side of the street here. Mm -hmm. So if in arguments with anybody, whether you're living with them or you're working with them, if you feel a tug, it's got nothing to do with them. In fact, the people who cause you the greatest pain are the greatest gift in the end. (laughs) <laughs> but it doesn't feel like that at the time. Thank you. Thank you. Big thank you to my ex-husband. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and, and I see that now, you know, the, the people who've really been my sworn enemies, you know, I can see that they were highlighting in me my fear, my mm-hmm. inability to say no, mm-hmm. my inability to stand up for myself. So I see that now. Yeah. You know? And believe it or not, you know, I know you find it hard to believe, but I was like, I was afraid to say boo to a goose, you know, I wouldn't speak at, at parties and things like that. I'd be in the corner. Terrified. Yeah, I cannot imagine that at all. No, I know that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's called the balancing out. Says the man who spent Process. how many weeks in Ibiza? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that was, and that was part of my freedom as well is, you know, I didn't go over there to find anybody. I just went over there for a fortnight of just dancing, no drink, no drugs, no nothing, just lime and soda, you know, and on the dance floor because I couldn't give a shit now. I'd just get out there, you know, and when my kids are with me at these things, you know, they're horrified. Oh God, here goes me dad again, you know, but. Oh God, he's going to embarrass us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I don't care now. And my kids know now because the, the. Looking at me is to, is to say, what's he going to do this time, you know? <laughs> so that's what I'm up to. I'm, I'm up to allowing people to grow up themselves, yeah. you know? And of course, there's always a balance when we're bringing kids up. There's always that balance between fear is not good, but caution's absolutely necessary, you know? Right. So again, it's to ask your heart, what's the thing to do here? Right. And sometimes your heart will guide you to step in. And sometimes your heart will guide you to step out. And my view is what you did yesterday won't necessarily work today. That's why we've got to live moment to moment to moment in my experience. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I, I am um, trying to honor your time. So um, I'm going to ask you my last question that I always ask my guests is how do you define real love? Um, it's a feeling. It's just a feeling of freedom. It's just a freedom of freedom. It, it's not attached to anything or anybody. Mm. And it's to do with self-love at depth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the ego, which is absolutely necessary, right, is just a, a tiny mind that sits in front of a massive big mind behind it, you know. So this little mind and big mind. And I think, you know, where I was for a long time, I was so contracted, you know, I didn't realize there was so much more to offer, you know. And I think once you let go of the bonds, I don't think you can get shut of the ego, but you can certainly let go of the ego's bonds. And mm-hmm. that's what gives you freedom, you know. And if you can do it in a real, raw, authentic, rough, um, honest, open, transparent way, if you can just let go, it comes in to bring you up and take you on a journey to the stars. My God, I've become a poet. <laughs> so how does so how does somebody know if they're giving themselves love? What does it feel like? It feels it feels just like we feel I feel now, right? Yeah. Because there's a there's a lightheartedness. Uh-huh. There's a sense of levity. There's a sense of love. It's just it's hard to explain. It's just it's just a feeling. You can't really define it because i think as soon as you start to define it it starts to disappear you limit it yeah because your head's back in charge you know and you think it hang on yeah. a second you know? so this is beyond words love comes before words it becomes it's before the script you know uh-huh. so i don't think we have to rewrite a new script i just think we need to throw the book away you know because i don't think there's any rules other than if you're feeling emotionally disturbed stop take a step back Reconnect with your heart, 
open it up again or allow it to open you up and carry on again, you know. So that's how I try and do it now. I, I tune my left ear into the way I'm feeling. And if I'm not feeling 100% flowing, I'll go back, do some mindfulness, drop in, ask my heart, what is it? You know, and sometimes it's just because my shoes are too tight, you know. So <laughs> no, 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 honestly, it could be physically, emotional. Right. Mental, you, know. you have to check all the boxes. <laughs> and I think... There's those four quadrants, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Yeah. And I say to my heart, which is it? Okay, put some slippers on and you'll feel better, you know. <laughs> uh, it is a pleasure talking to you, Joe. I hope that you will um, be willing to come back and talk some more to me. Of course, I'd love to. I'd love to. I feel like we've only just started. We have only just started, for sure. We have only just scratched the surface. <laughs> We've only just begun as the carpenters used to. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about your work, how can they get in touch with you? Well, um, I'm on Facebook. If they put um, Dr. Joe Delaney in or, or, Doc, or Joseph Delaney, uh-huh. right? There's a Facebook thing that should come up. I've got a website which is under um, reconstruction at the moment, and that's um, drjoedelaney.com, you know, mm-hmm. and um, – I'm sort of not available to do one-to-one stuff. I know that that sounds terrible, but I'm just so No, it's not. Yeah, you have a lot going on. I mean, you're teaching to big groups of people. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, in that regard, what I try and tend to do is when I've got a chance is put stuff on Facebook, you know. Um, but I, I think if they put, just put Dr. Joe Delaney in um, okay. on Instagram and things like that, it, it should come up. But I do have a YouTube channel now. It's called The I Am Approach to health and well-being that's a youtube channel and there's mm-hmm. quite a few sort of uh, interviews there with todd medina and Sifu boggy and you know shanine uh-huh lovely mate shanine who i absolutely <laughs> my I lovely mate yes i adore her I too her well I'm, I'm going to see it on next monday next sunday and monday so i'm looking oh, to i'm yeah. sure you will have a brilliant time together lots of laughing and fun absolutely absolutely <laughs> So there we are. By all means, you know, have a look at those things. And um, I'm hoping in time, when the time's right, to get a couple of books out, you know, but um, it's one thing at a time, one day yeah. at a time, one breath yeah. at a time. Yes, exactly. So um, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure. And I am sure all of our listeners um, will love our conversation and they'll be clamoring for more. <laughs> so for all of you people who, who, loved this, which you will. Um, Please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Um, And if you would like uh, one-on-one support in finding more connection and expansion and freedom within yourself and in your own relationships, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. And feel free to send me a message and I'd be honored to help you find and create more real love in your life. And as Dr. Joe and I uh, have talked about, the most important relationship you will ever have is the one you have with yourself so that you can be the kind of partner that you want to have, so that you can be the kind of son you want to be, be the kind of father you want to be, et cetera, et cetera. You know, connection, but not codependence, right? So thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe, for being here. It's been a true pleasure and honor. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dawn. Hopefully see you soon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in. And every day, wake up to more real love. Take care. Bye.